Gentlemen, people out. Parents coming back in. So this is our third week of a series on the Holy Spirit. In week one, uh, there are some notes around for that, maybe a CD. Uh, one point was really the Holy Spirit is someone, not something. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And he's equal with the Father, equal with the Son, but, but, but uh, humble in role, serving both the Father and the Son, so that he's even sent by the Father and the Son. Um, week two, we went through rather quickly, but that's the way we had to do it, what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, because you know we don't, we don't build upon what we may or may not feel or experience, but on what the Word says. And Jesus called him two particular names. He called him the Spirit of Truth and he called him the Comforter or Counselor, the Helper. And uh, so let's pray because uh, <coughs> I need <laughs> the Lord's help this morning. Holy Spirit, you are the Spirit of Truth. It's your word. You inspired it. So we pray that you will, as our Lord Jesus promised us, lead us and guide us into the truth today. Cause us to see it. Help us to receive it, to welcome it, and to act upon it too. Holy Spirit too, we pray, take what belongs to Jesus and reveal it to us. We need to see with the seeing of faith the things that are truly ours because we belong to Christ that we may receive them with a full heart and gratitude. Help me as I need strength now to, to speak as well. Amen. So last week, sum up 40-odd minute sermon in one sentence. The Holy Spirit brings Jesus to us and builds Jesus in us. What Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit, particularly in John's Gospel, is true for every child of God born of the Spirit, as Carol was saying earlier. Those things are true. He guides you, he leads you, he's your strengthener. He's maturing you, sanctifying you. He's teaching you, leading you. Those things are true. If you're born of God, those things are unquestionably true. So what about the baptism with the Holy Spirit or receiving the Holy Spirit? Now, this is an Elim church. I am an Elim ordained minister. You don't often hear me say that, do you? No. no. But, uh, I, I, I was, uh, the guy who comes and does the, the uh, fire uh, hydrants once a year, he, I, I came in on Tuesday and, and did them, and he said, you're right, Dave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, so do you work around here every day? I said, no, I'm not here every day. Mostly, sometimes I'm at home studying. Well, he said, studying? I thought you were the kind of like general manager and whatever for the place. And I said, I said I'm the pastor. He said, I'm, I'm actually a, a reverend. He went, what? <laughs> anyway, this is what Elim's statement is about the Holy Spirit. Okay. We believe in the deity of the Holy Spirit who in, proceeds from the Father and the Son and the necessity of his work in conviction of sin, repentance, regeneration and sanctification and that the believer is also promised an endowment of power as the gift of Christ through the baptism in the Holy Spirit with signs following. Through this endowment the believer is empowered 
for fuller participation in the ministry of the church, its worship, evangelism, and service. That's the Elim statement. I agree with it or I wouldn't be an Elim minister. I'm not a hypocrite. If I didn't agree with that statement, I wouldn't be. I want you to notice one thing there. We don't insist upon tongues as being the only sign following receiving the Holy Spirit. I'll come to that another time. Let's talk about... I'm not going to try and defend the statement, by the way. I believe it's, it's biblically true. Let's go to the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit is called the promise and the gift of the Father. Long before the Lord Jesus came through the prophets, God made promises that he would send or give the Holy Spirit. You remember we said about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit came upon particular people at particular times for particular purposes. But it wasn't like they lived with a lifelong relationship with the Holy Spirit. That was, that was not the norm. But giving the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit would be with us and stay with us and even be in us is like New Testament truth. It's a new deal. And God promised he would give and send the Holy Spirit. It was an essential part of the promises around the new covenant. So receiving and being filled with the Holy Spirit is both the promise of God and the gift of God to us. So the Holy Spirit is called, in, in terms of name, the promise of the Father, the gift of God. John the Baptist declared that the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, would be the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit. I baptize you in water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Giving you the references for that. We read through in John 14 through to 17 last week that Jesus had promised that having ascended to the Father, gone from the disciples, he would send the Holy Spirit. Now let's read on in John chapter 20. This is the evening of the first day of the week. Jesus has risen from the dead daybreak or before daybreak that day, depends on how you count days, and Jewish days start from the evening of the day before the waking thing. So it's the evening on the day of the resurrection. The doors were shut. The disciples were in a room for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have re retained. That is a, a scripture that connects with binding and loosening, by the way, but that's another subject. What happened in that moment when Jesus blew on them and then spoke those words? Well, I have to tell you, I don't know if it's going to disappoint you, but I don't think that what he intended happened then. You see, he'd said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. But he also says, we'll see in a few minutes, not yet. Something's going to happen before you go. They were being sent into all the world, but not yet. They were going to preach forgiveness of sins, as, as is mentioned in that scripture there, but not yet. They would receive the Holy Spirit, but not yet. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus says this to his disciples. Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. Do you get it? 
the promise of God, the Holy Spirit. But you are to stay in the city in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. This is going to happen, this is going to happen, but this needs to happen first. Stay where you are until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus spoke and acted in John 20 in the upper room, I believe, or that locked room, prophetically. He even blew on them prophetically. Now we're going to go into the book of Acts. We see the disciples gathered together in another room, doing just what Jesus had told them to do, staying there until the Holy Spirit came upon them. I want you to notice this. They were believers. They'd been baptized, but they were waiting to receive what was promised, the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Let's go to the book of Acts. The first account I composed, Theophilus, God-lover in Greek, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, we just read it in John 20, by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they were asking him, Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or ages which the Father has fixed for his own power, his own authority, but you will receive power, and the words are very similar there, you will receive power, authority, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he'd said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. I want to pick up three phrases from what Jesus particularly said there. Receiving and being filled with the Holy Spirit is what the Father promised. And indeed what Jesus promised. Jesus called what was about to happen to the disciples being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself uses those words. It's his description. We're not making it up. The Holy Spirit would come upon them there would be a powerful encounter with his presence. And he would empower them. You will receive power, authority, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be a witness. They would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now this was the common experience of the early church, not just on the day of Pentecost. And few modern commentators argue that the book of Acts and the epistles do not reflect one common experience shared by all the believers in all the decades that followed the day of Pentecost, right through to the book of Acts. And that, the book of Acts covers a period of almost 30 years, by the way. You know, you read it, it's like all this happened in a fortnight. No, you know, three and a half years after Jesus' resurrection, Stephen was stoned and so there's, there's gaps of time here. Things were happening. They all received the Holy Spirit at a particular time and they spoke in tongues of prophesied and perhaps had other experiences as well of his presence and his power. Here's the evidence. We're going to go through it. 
not going to read all of Acts 2 or all of Acts 8, but just some verses. When the day of Pentecost had come, seven days, sorry, ten days after Jesus has gone from them, descended from them, they've seen him go, they are waiting, as he said. Ten days later, the day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Tongues just means languages. As the Spirit was giving them utterance. What had Jesus done in the upper room? He'd breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. What happened? Some weeks later, the Holy Spirit arrived with the sound of a violent rushing wind. The wind filled the whole house, but the Holy Spirit filled them. And even flames of fire touched every one of them as a sign of cleansing and commissioning. Remember Isaiah 6, coal of fire touched his lips? They're experiencing a similar thing in the presence of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit there. And they all spoke in new languages, which, because we kind of, some words we don't let go of from the King James, we still use the word tongues. But a tongue is a language, that's what it means. These tongues, in fact, proved to be human languages, though unlearned and unknown to these disciples, for when they spilled out onto the street, full of the Holy Spirit, people from all around the Mediterranean gathered there for the Feast of Pentecost, believing people, Jews and proselytes, proselytes from all sorts of parts all over the Mediterranean and beyond. They heard these 120 disciples speaking in their language, one after another one. He's speaking my language. What did they hear? This is their testimony. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. So the disciples were prophesying declaring things about God, about Jesus, about the gospel, about the kingdom of God, declaring the mighty deeds of God in a language they did not know, did not understand, but the person some feet away from them understood every word. When this sound, both the wind and the disciples all speaking in tongues at the same time, drew a crowd, Peter also filled with the Holy Spirit with boldness. And that's interesting because he was a coward who decided to deny Jesus three times. He's full of boldness today. He stood up and preached to them. His closing instruction, which they had to get out of him, he wasn't very good, he wasn't quite got used to preaching yet, and he forgot to make an application again. I do that sometimes too, don't I, Joe? Forget to make an application. Yet. They said, what are we going to do then? If this is what you, what you say is true, what do we must do? And this is what he said, Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, we just did Pentecost, that's it, isn't it? No, 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 no. You too will receive this same gift. For the promise, you notice the word again? The Holy Spirit is the promise of God and the gift of God. The promise is for you and your children, so this is going down the generations, and for all who are far off, this is going way beyond Jerusalem and Judea and, and Jewish people. 
It's for all who are far off, as many as our Lord, our God, will call to himself. This promise, this gift of the Holy Spirit is for as many as God calls from all nations to be his children and in fact for endless generations until the end of this age. As you continue to read from the book of Acts, you see that happening. As the gospel spreads out from Jerusalem like ripples on a pond, it goes to the next place and the next place and the next place it reaches beyond Judea, beyond the Jewish people, is Samaria in Acts chapter 8. Philip has gone and evangelized in Samaria. Lots of people have become believers in Jesus there. The apostles heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them. This is Jewish guys praying for Samaritans. If you understand anything about Jewish and Samaritans, this is like, whoa. They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke here doesn't mention tongues of prophecy. Okay, but. Now when Simon, tell you about Simon in a minute, saw that the Spirit was bestowed for the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give this authority, this power to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. <coughs> Speaking in tongues as I mentioned here. But as the apostles laid hands on these Samaritan believers, they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And Simon, who was a magician, who had the stage name, the great power of God, that's what they called him, witnessed something that he wanted. And he offered to buy this power, this authority to communicate the presence of God, the Holy Spirit to people, that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want that one. If the coming of the Holy Spirit upon those Samaritan believers had had no outward sign, no demonstration, nothing much visually, audibly was happening, Simon the magician would have kept his tongue in his mouth and his money in his belt. There wasn't anything worth having, was there? But he saw and heard something and said, I want, I want that. You'd have to read on yourself to find out what happened next. Right? In Acts chapter 9, Saul, Paul, uh, fell off his horse, blinded by the light of Christ, heard the Lord Jesus speaking to him. Three days he was blind. Three days he fasted, wouldn't eat, wouldn't drink. The Lord sent a disciple called Ananias in the city of Damascus to go and speak to Saul. And he said, the Lord has sent me, brother Saul. If you know anything about who Saul was, I bet at that point, you know, that's a daring thing to say. That you might be, receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias laid hands on him, prayed for him. Saul jumps out of bed. He goes and gets baptized in water. And then he sits down and has something to eat. So for Saul, there was, a, there was a, a time. For Paul, the apostle, he became. There was an event upon which he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, I haven't attempted to tell the story, but by the providence of God, 
Peter is sent to the house of a Roman centurion, one of the, you know, the governors of the, of the, of, of the occupying forces. Yeah? It's a Roman. He's a centurion, a soldier, in Caesarea called Cornelius. He's a God-fearing Gentile. He can't become a Jew because he wouldn't be allowed to stay in the army if he was. But he's a God-fearing, upright man. And as Peter's go, gone there, and he, the Lord's told him, don't you call unclean what I call clean people. He's been, you know, kind of ticked off about this. He'd go. So he goes. And he starts to kind of wind in to declaring the good news of Jesus to Cornelius and his household, which includes his family and his servants together. And then this happens. While Peter was still speaking these words, he hasn't finished the sermon. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised, that is Jewish believers, who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles as well. They are astonished. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Peter didn't get to finish the sermon. He says, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptised who've received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked him to stay on for a few days. What happened at Pentecost, a long time before, happened again at Cornelius' house to Gentiles this time. No wind and fire, but the Holy Spirit came upon them, fell upon them. There was a powerful impact of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And they were speaking in unknown languages and exalting God. And Peter made the connection, because when he got back to Jerusalem, he was in trouble. We hear you went and ate with Gentiles. He said, you haven't heard the worst of it. (laughs) He filled them with the Holy Spirit, just like us. And this is his defense to the Jerusalem leaders. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, notice that the gift was given after they had already believed. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? In other words, get off my back, guys. It wasn't my fault. (laughs) Peter states the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius and his household. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. These are different different ways of describing the same thing, but they're useful terms. And that they had received the same gift that the disciples had received at Pentecost. Now, another time, and again, some more years later, another place, another group of people, Acts chapter 19. Ephesus is the place. It's in the middle of what we now know of as Turkey. It happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It seems to me that Paul's like, there's something not quite right here. And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said to them, into what then were you baptised? Because, you know, if they'd been baptised in the formula that Jesus gave us, in the name of the Father and of the Son, and they'd at least have heard the name Holy Spirit, yes? Yes. And they said, into John's baptism. 
Paul said John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues, unknown languages, and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. Paul clearly observed, having met these, these 12 men, there was something that was missing among them. So he says, did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And whatever lack he'd noticed, he found that there was a, an, a, another lack as well, that they had a, a, a lack in understanding the gospel. They'd been told half the story, or less than half the story. They knew John the Baptist preaching, but not about the person of Jesus so much himself. So, having explained the gospel to them, having confessed Jesus, their faith in Jesus, they were baptized in water, and then Paul lays hands on them, and they, just as at Pentecost, just as at Samaria, just as at Cornelius, as there, people are being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying. There's a pattern, isn't there? Yeah. It just keeps on happening. Because it's the same promise of God. The same gift of God, which, by the way, is to you, your children, to the ends of the earth. Speaking in tongues and prophesying was not the sign of them being born of God, born of the Spirit, but of receiving the Spirit. It's very clear in Scripture the people who received the Spirit had already believed. In most cases, they had already been baptized too. But there has been a debate in the worldwide church over the centuries whether these experiences should be our experience today or whether all supernatural evidences of the Holy Spirit's work, including speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, and so on, ended with that first generation of the Church of Christ. In other words, at some point in history, they say when the New Testament was completed, when the apostles all died, or, or when the church became established, became the official church, I think that's one of the worst things that ever happened for the church, that it became the official church of the Roman Empire, but that's another story, that the Holy Spirit kind of dialed down and his work became only inward and personal. There was nothing that was manifested, nothing that was evidential, nothing that was, could be seen or heard of him. It was only internal. Now, there is no evidence that this is the case. Throughout church history, there have regularly, over the centuries, been groups of people who've had remarkable experiences of the Holy Spirit. The problem is, the established churches usually treated them as heretics, and some of them did have some errors along the way as well. But there's no backing to the statement or the argument that the work of the Holy Spirit just changed or ended with the completion of the New Testament Scriptures and the death of the Twelve Apostles. But that's how what's called cessationist, cessationism being arguing that the work of the Holy Spirit ceased at least in any visible, uh, observable way. They use this scripture to argue the case. 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. <clears throat> For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man... I did away with childish things. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as also I have been known. So they're saying, well, the perfect came. Uh, what came? 
The New Testament was written. Yes, good. The New Testament was completed. But that whole passage there, Paul talks about when we know as we're known, when we know in full, when we see face to face. That is not the language of some transition of when the Bible was completed or the church became established. That's the language of passing through into eternal kingdom. Yeah? It's about the fullness that is not yet in this age, the fullness of the kingdom of God, of our seeing Jesus, of being made fully mature, of our, of our no longer seeing through a glass darkly, but seeing him face to face. That's not now, is it? No. So they're misapplying that, that, that phrase, when, when the perfect comes. They say, well, when the church comes, maturity. Oh, yes, we live in a really wonderful, perfect church nowadays, don't we? No. No, we don't. And when I read Ephesians about God's vision for his church, I'm saying, please do it, Lord, please do it. We're not there yet. I pray God we will be for Jesus' coming when he'll have a bride that's worth, worth picking up when he comes. Yeah? yeah? Taking to himself. But those things in Ephesians to us are still prophetic visions of a church that is still yet to arrive at that. We haven't yet come to the maturity of faith on a perfect man and the measure of Christ Jesus, to quote Ephesians, you know? We're not there yet. We haven't come to the unity of faith. We still have all kinds of ideas and all sorts of things. But for centuries, many centuries, people go, it's all gone, it's all gone, it's all finished, prophecy, no, healing, no, it's all finished. You actually find very few people arguing that today. And in churches with all sorts of labels on their doors, you, today you will find people being prophesied to and people being prayed for for healing. All right? They've kind of given up on that argument. It seems that the one that still kind of sticks with some people is just speaking in tongues. If they welcome prophecy and they, they, they welcome, you know, praying for people to be healed, because you know, yeah, we still, yeah, yeah, God can still do that. But speaking in tongues is still, oh no, I don't know about that. I want to tell you, I could tell you today, the names of people in Harlow in all sorts of Christian denominations who I know personally who speak in tongues. Again, it goes way beyond labels. I've been in prayer meetings and been oh, so-and-so speaking in tongues. Okay. <laughs> the Archbishop of Canterbury, now I'm not saying I agree with them on all kinds of stuff, all right? But the Archbishop of Canterbury publicly, unashamedly, will say he speaks in tongues. I reject cessationism. It's not taught by scripture. It's not taught in that scripture. I've shown you why. Nor is the evidence in church history. The church is not yet perfect. We're not yet come to full maturity. And what happened was this, that there were outbreaks over the centuries of, people, of spirit-filled people, usually persecuted by the mainstream churches along the way, until the beginning of the 20th century, 19, early 1900s, when God began to pour out his spirit upon people. And suddenly the whole thing came alive. Passages that we'll look at in a few weeks' time. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, the gifts of the Spirit. These things became real and live. It took some figuring out. Is this, is this that? Or, or are we, have we got the real thing? But it doesn't work on that. And the Pentecostal outpouring of the early 1900s, interrupted, I may say, by two terrible world wars, still rolls across this planet to this day. There are more Pentecostal charismatic Christians in the world than any other kind of Christian in the world. Now, at the same time, 
from the end of the Second World War through the 50s, 60s, 70s, into the 80s particularly, the Holy Spirit began to be poured out upon the older denominations. It caused all sorts of ruckus and fuss. But people in Catholic churches and Anglican churches and Presbyterian churches and all sorts of places began to be filled with the Spirit. It often got them into enormous trouble. But you can't put a hedge around the Holy Spirit. And it became the charismatic renewal, 60s, 70s, going into the 80s. Out of that, even there were new denominations formed, new movements of churches formed, house churches and, and others were formed out of that time because they had a fresh experience of the Holy Spirit and if the, whatever church that they belonged to didn't welcome it, eventually they had to go and get on with it. They had to move out and move on. All right? Now, let me tell you a bit about my view in this. As in church history, there are things today that some Pentecostals or charismatics say and do which I do not believe are correct. And the Holy Spirit sometimes gets blamed for all sorts of fleshly and even wicked things at times. But the same could be said of gospel preaching. And even in Paul's day, he talks about people who are preaching for their own personal gain. Now, I accept the label Pentecostal and Charismatic because I believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe that we are enabled by the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues and to prophesy. And I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the Church of Christ and for the equipping of God's saints, not just for in church, but from church, to this day. That it doesn't change because the promise is the same and the gift is the same. But because I accept the label doesn't mean I, I kind of, I'm happy with everything else that gets labeled as well. You understand? You've heard me about those things before now. All right? I identify as a Pentecostal or a charismatic. But that doesn't mean I, I like everything that gets labeled that or that can, runs under those labels in the world. And I'm honest about that and I'll critique what I need to critique. I want to continue to pursue the authentic work of the Spirit based upon the truth of Scripture, for he is the Spirit of truth. He does nothing contrary to his own word and joined with God-honoring character and lifestyle. Now I want to talk about this experience, this event of receiving the Holy Spirit. See, God uses events and experiences to mark and establish us. Quick, quick straw poll. How many of you could say, not once in your life, but a couple of times in your life, you have known a time, a moment, a day of encounter with God? There was life transforming in some way. I think that's most of us. I need to pray for more of you. Events, experiences. There was Abraham, probably living a fairly honest life, I guess, but he was a pagan. He lived in this culture and he lived with his gods. And the scripture says the Lord God appeared to Abraham. It all changed. In that moment in time, it all began, his life was rerouted. Because God appeared to Abraham. There's an intervention, there's an event. God appears, God does something, and it changes. If you will respond, if you will cooperate, everything changes from that, may, that moment, that day on. For some of us, we know well the day of our conversion. Last week, I talked for a while about born again, born of God, born of the Spirit. Those are three ways that Jesus himself described this conversion experience. You must be born again. You should know you have been born of God. Then there's baptism. I do not believe 
that infant baptism is supported by the Scriptures. But the baptism is for those who can confess their faith for themselves and work out issues of repentance and transformation for themselves by the help of God. It is believers' baptism. Every Christian, therefore, should be able to remember, recall their baptism. I know I was there. Yeah? Yeah? Whether their conversion was sudden or dramatic or not, they know they were baptized. And that marked their new life in Jesus. When you go to Romans, Paul argues that we're to reckon some things as being true of ourselves because, in fact, in Jesus we died to sin and have been raised to new life in him. And he says, you know that because you were baptized. Well, you need to know you were baptized to know that. Yeah? And so you go back and say, no, I know that I'm dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus. I know I'm joined to Jesus because he's taken me into himself. Because in baptism, I acted it out. I went in the water. I rose to newness of life. Now, did it happen? No, it didn't happen. But it was illustrated and confirmed by that prophetic action. You said, this is true. Here I'm doing it. Well, it was done to you. That's the wonderful thing about baptism. You don't go, thank you. We put you down and we lift you up because actually you did not give yourself new birth. You didn't give yourself new life. God did that through the Holy Spirit. So someone else has to baptize you. That's the way it works as well. Because in that sense, we are symbols of Christ to whom you're joined. So baptism is a significant event. It's why it's contested. It's why some people start to, start to get ready to be baptized and all sorts of things get in the way. It's why... It's why when you've been baptized, you know, we, we, we joke sometimes, you know, you've got a round on, you know, one of those targets, like the, like the RAF sign. You've got a target on your chest when you're baptized because, you, you know, the devil's in there. There's one. Yeah. So, move on from conversion and baptism. Receiving the Spirit in Scripture is clearly an event, an experience. It can't happen without you knowing about it. Like baptism in water, we are to recall and remember and build upon our experience of having received the Holy Spirit. Every Christian who received and read the letters of Peter, Paul and the others in that first century had experienced receiving the Holy Spirit. And when they heard you were baptized into the Spirit, you had... It, it meant that to them. They understood the terms. Our problem is we've now been for centuries handling those scriptures and saying, but that's not my, my experience, so what else can it mean? It's been reinterpreted and reapplied because people were coming to it not having had that experience and therefore have to argue it a different way. Every Christian in the first decades of the church Reading those letters said, yeah, I know, yeah, I, that's me too. I was baptized in water and I, I remember when I, re, when I received the Spirit. So I know what Paul's talking about. Paul says to the Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And they remember hearing him argue that you, you didn't deserve being filled with the Spirit. You just heard that it was true and you believed it and so you received it. He's arguing it's not works, it's, it, it's not works, it's faith. Simply trusting, simply trusting. But they knew his argument because every one of them that he wrote to had had that experience of receiving the Spirit. 
It wasn't a theory. It wasn't a, 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 an objective theological truth. It was a subjective, a felt and known event in their lives. In Acts 2 at Jerusalem, Acts 10 at Caesarea, Acts 19 at Ephesus, probably in Acts 8 at Samaria, events spread over decades. Groups of people had the same experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon them and then speaking in unlearned languages and or prophesying. We don't insist in any, that speaking in tongues is the only sign of receiving the Spirit. But inspired speech is. You speak in tongues or you prophesy. Other initial signs of having received the Spirit are our response of joy and praise. We actually get kind of, you know, this, this, this deposit of the presence of God in the Holy Spirit. And, we, you know, we're filled with joy, we're filled with peace. So what comes out? Yes! While such outward evidence might signify to someone like myself or someone else who's praying for you, they've received the Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. What matters most is that you know you have received the Spirit. The sign is not for everybody else's sake. I'm not going to push this this morning. The sign is for your sake, so you know. You carry that event away with you. I knew the presence of God so powerfully come upon me, and I was speaking in a way I'd never spoken before. I was just inspired. You know you received the Holy Spirit. That's what the sign's for, not for my sake. It's for yours. Primarily, it's for yours. So you will have confidence you know this to be true. Now I would say to you, I, do, I will not support the idea that receiving the Holy Spirit is something you must take by faith. You know, when you, maybe it happens. Pray for someone, nothing seems to happen. You know, and some preachers and leaders will say to you, oh, take it by faith, brother, sister. You know, believe that you have and go away. I think it's a cop-out. It also puts a burden on them to have a kind of faith they don't know what to do with and either. It's like, no, no, I want to be honest with you and say, if we don't think anything happened, let's just say we're, we're going to pray again another time. We're going to keep on together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't teach faith that way. You pretend like it is, but it isn't yet. I, I just don't do that much. Right? Now, receiving the Spirit clearly has evidence. I should have put that up there before. You know when you've received the Spirit. But the receiving the Spirit then has an effect you will receive power. You will receive authority. You can do stuff you didn't do before because you're equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Peter, the denier of Christ, becomes the champion. He's risking his life. He's standing on them boldly declaring to them. I'd love to read his sermon to you in Acts 2, but I haven't got time. It's powerful. You think, this man denied Jesus? He's fearless. You know? Changed, empowered, equipped, emboldened. I like the letter E today. Today, our letter is the letter E. <laughs> when you read through the book of Acts, you come across it repeatedly. This one, that one, filled with the Spirit, are filled with boldness. They're standing and speaking before crowds. They're defending themselves before hostile authorities, accusers. They're laying hands upon sick people and seeing them healed. They're even raising dead people. In the name of the Lord Jesus, they're speaking prophetically. Why? Because they are extraordinarily equipped by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4, when the church is under threat from the, from the authorities, the whole Jerusalem church pray for the Lord not to destroy the authorities. Some of us have been there and done that one. 
They say, Lord, you know about them, but give us boldness. Give us your Holy Spirit. So we keep on doing what you called us to do. And the Holy Spirit came upon them as powerfully again then as he had done at Pentecost. And this is months months later. So the outcome of receiving the Holy Spirit is Godward. There's a renewed faith in God, relationship with him, enjoyment of him, leading to obedience to him. It's to deepen and strengthen your faith, your relationship with God through Christ. It's inward in that God, the Scripture says the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So it's in times of encounter with him, of his presence with us, that the love of God is poured into our hearts. The kingdom of God is peace, is love and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. So it's inward, greater assurance in faith, greater confidence in God. Then it's otherward, by which I mean your fellowship, your brothers and sisters. The Bible talks about the love of the brethren. We share together in the love of the Spirit. That's not all loving the Spirit together. It's loving one another through Him, by His help. We live in the unity of the Spirit. We're to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Our life in the Spirit together. So we respect and honor one another. We, have, we, we, do, we do for things that build for peace in the unity of the Spirit. Unity, we don't make it, he makes it, but we need to protect it. We can serve one another when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, by the Spirit. We can speak prophetically, encouragingly to one another. We can pray prophetic prayers for one another. We do, we do a lot of that that doesn't, you don't even see. I encourage people, that even when someone tells you what's the matter with them, you just pray what you feel God shows you. You see God break in in those moments. Just, just take that little risk of, I just feel I need to pray this. Is that okay? And you just, oh, God turns up. Holy Spirit's at work. We serve one another by the Spirit. And then it's outward. The Holy Spirit emboldens us, empowers us, equips us to be the Lord's witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The Greek word there is not one you'll like. It's martyr. You'll go and live out there, and you'll even die out there if necessary, for the name of Jesus. Equipped to be the Lord's witnesses in life, speech, and action. And actually... Get to it next week, being filled with the Spirit. Having received the Holy Spirit, you can go on being filled with the Spirit. You can have many times of encounter with Him. In fact, truthfully, I need more than a few a week. <laughs> Seriously. Because I don't think I could do what I do unless I'm kind of coming back again to, to find the resources which are not in me, they're in Him, the Holy Spirit. We move on further. We make progress after each encounter with God. Again, you can look at the life of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They came to this place, encountered God, built an altar, dealt with the Lord. He spoke to them. So they're moving on with more purpose, with more direction, with more focus to the next stage. And somewhere down the line, God speaks to them again. If you're one of those people that God speaks to you in absolutely clear terms every day of your life, well, hallelujah, thank, thank the Lord for that. It doesn't me, but I, I do find there are moments, there are times of, 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 of correction, of direction, of equipping, of, 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 of motivation. You know? and there are times when I'm saying, Lord, I'm, I'm pretty close to giving up if you don't talk to me any soon. I need him to. I need to know I've heard him. Now, some people have pursued receiving the Holy Spirit or being baptized with the Holy Spirit. I've concentrated on the word receive because Jesus used it. 
receive the Holy Spirit. And I, I, feel, I feel that's his prophetic word. Seriously, I feel that's the prophetic word of the Lord Jesus to us today. He says to every one of us, receive the Holy Spirit. Some have pursued receiving the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, simply as an experience. Have you got it? Yeah, I got it. Great, go home. <laughs> it's induction, folks. It's, it, it's being brought into a whole new realm of life where you can learn to live by the Spirit and do things you would not do as an ordinary human being. You will receive power. You begin to live in the kingdom of God in a way you didn't even think about before. I'm trying to not to give you personal examples because they would take even more time this morning. We'll see about that in weeks to come. Listen, it's better to be hungry for the outcome, for what you know the Holy Spirit who's promised to you will do in you and through you than just for the experience of receiving him. The good that could, will be. It is not, okay, I, I repented, I got baptized, I've received the Spirit, I'm done now. It is not that. And if you don't see beyond to what is the outcome, then you'll probably be disappointed. I would encourage you to be hungry and thirsty for a lifestyle of going on being filled with the Spirit more than for even that initial experience. But it is through an initial experience which you will know and undoubtedly experience that you enter into a lifestyle of being a spiritual Christian. Yeah. And by the way, there is no two-class two Christianity. The spirit-filled and the non-spirit-filled, the, the spiritual and the non-spiritual. God forbid if we start to think, you know, I'm somehow better because I've got something my brother or sister doesn't, hasn't received yet. We're brothers and sisters. We're born of the same God. We're children of the same Father. There's no superiority in this. Every one of us should know that we've received the Holy Spirit. It was an event and an experience by which we are further strengthened in the Lord. And these events and experiences, if you've been to an old building and there's a foundation stone in the entrance, this stone was laid by Councillor Entwistle, you know, from Derby back in 1834. <laughs> Terrible accent. <laughs> Should have practiced that one. <laughs> Eel. Duck. But you see foundation stones. The Lord clearly intends that we as his children should have markers in our lives which are like marker stones for us. Yeah. You know? And even when your feet are sliding, you know they're going to hit that stone. Yeah. I, I remember when I received the Spirit. I remember when I was baptized. I can't deny that those things are true. They're, they're written there. David Evans was baptized. That, David Evans was filled with the Spirit that day. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, I remember now. Border stones, boundary stones, stones of marker, stones of purpose that tell you this is what happened to you because God took a hold of you. God came and I encountered and was overpowered by him. That was the truth of my conversion. All I, all I said to get saved was, oh, all right, I give up. God powerfully took a hold of me in that moment. No great testament, is it? Oh, all right, I give up. <laughs> we move on further. And every experience of the Holy Spirit should have some equipping commissioning in it. 
And that's why, even during the times in the early 90s, when there was a remarkable outpouring of the Spirit and all sorts of things were happening, I would say to people, I say to myself, you know, if, 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 if my legs go from underneath me, all my strength is taken from me, I'm on the floor, I can't move, I can't do anything, I'm, I'm, I'm there so long, things are even beginning to hurt. What am I doing at that time? Waiting till I get feel well enough to get up again and say, well, God did something, I don't know what it was. No, I'm asking him. What is this, what is this about, Lord? What, what is it you want to say to me? What is it you want to do? You know, you're, you're listening to him. If he's pinned me on the floor so I can't move, what am I going to do? I'm going to listen. Yeah? Because every time of encounter with God is supposed to be an equipping experience. It's supposed to commission you, purpose you for something. Yeah? It isn't just, oh, that was really interesting. That was really cool. So please, when the Holy Spirit's at work and doing something, maybe to you, which you find strange, maybe you start to shake or so. Say, what is it, Lord? What is it? What are you wanting to do? What do you want to say? See, it's the Spirit truth. The Spirit uses words. He speaks. He really does. Excuse me saying this, but he's not dumb. He's speaking all the time if you listen. Every experience should equip us and commission us. Back to what Jesus said. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Caesarea, Ephesus, good old England, Arlo, (laughs) even to the remotest part of the earth. Such was the case in the Old Testament. Being his witnesses, by the way, is a lifestyle, not just an evangelistic event. It's the way you live. The Greek word is martyr. It's how you live and, if necessary, how you die. So I believe that every one of us should experience this receiving the Holy Spirit. Being, and Jesus used the phrase, so I'm not apologizing for it, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Being immersed in his presence. Being filled with him. And next week, we are going to look at filled with the Spirit. So, well, didn't you cover that today? No, because the Scripture says, go on being filled. What does a Spirit-filled life look like? These apostles and church workers in the book of Acts, these were men of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? We see that people who had already received the Spirit, had been baptized in the Spirit, were then again and again filled with the Spirit. Acts 4, look at it next week. Let me come back to what I believe is this. Sense, just sense this is Jesus' prophetic word. Listen, you know, Jesus says, disciples, believers, I want you to hear his words. Receive the Holy Spirit. Paul asked those Ephesian men, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I have three steps to put to you. Have you received the Holy Spirit? I've got three steps to put to you. Number one. If you're going to receive the Spirit, you need to receive the truth. He's the Spirit of truth. You've got to be convinced that these things are true. The Holy Spirit almost always works through the truth, the Word of God. And so you've got to be convinced by the truth concerning this thing of receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, that may not be what you were taught in the past and you've got some tradition to overcome. It may not be the church tradition in which you were raised. It may not be, have been your experience in all these you've been a Christian. I'm saying to you, first of all, 
my brother, my sister, you need to be convinced by the truth. I, I'm not going to try and argue with you. I'm not trying to debate with you. I want you to take this away and go through it again until you are sure. I am convinced that this is true. That the, the receiving of the Holy Spirit with accompanying signs, so you know you've received it, is actually absolutely for now, for today, for, for children's children, for every nation, and that includes me. So you start to put yourself in the frame. Lord, I believe that is true for me too. So you receive the truth. Then, number two, why don't you simply request the gift? Request the gift. You could ask to be prayed for, happy to do that. But most importantly, I would suggest to you, you need to ask. The Lord Jesus is the giver of the Holy Spirit, the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. So, beginning to ask, beginning to seek, beginning to knock, could be really important. The Holy Spirit is the gift and promise of God the Father to us through the Son. Ask Him to give you the Holy Spirit. Ask Him. Here's Jesus talking about it because it's Jesus talking, he's talking about asking the Father. But don't get hung up about whether you ask the Father or the Son. You just ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. As far as Jesus is concerned, if they're asking him. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Notice the context. Jesus is talking generally about prayer there. Notice the context. He goes on to say this. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? If he's asked for an egg, he'll not give him a scorpion, will he? Do you want chips for your scorpion, son? <laughs> if you then, being evil, oh, thanks, Lord, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Number one, receive it. Make sure you believe this is true. For you. Number two, start to ask. In your asking, you may get hungry and thirsty. That's good. But don't think that your effort will somehow make the Holy Spirit um, more available to you. He's gift and promise. God doesn't change anything. He just, it's your readiness that matters. All right. And then thirdly, receive the Spirit. If you've received the truth and you've made your request of the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit, there's one more thing you need, and that is a childlike faith. You see, a child... I've got uh, cough sweets in my pocket. Let's say it's not cough sweet, it's one of those Haribo things, you know. <laughs> and there's a child here, and would you like a Haribo? Yes, please. The hand goes up, you know, they're asking to receive it, and, and all that matters is I go like that, and they, they've got it. Childlike faith. Childlike faith. Then say, well, what if and 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 well, I don't know. Child says, oh, thank you. And receives into an open hand what is offered to them. Jesus talked about, do you remember that? Jesus talked about childlike faith. 
not childish faith. So we stay a bit, we, we try to stay silly all our lives, <laughs> you know, and uneducated and ignorant. No, no. Childlike faith. We simply know how to ask and then believe we're going to receive yeah. what the Father has for us. Yeah. A child believes the parents promise until they're disappointed in some way and opens their hands to receive a gift. Jesus said, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You, you evil parents know how to give good things to your kids. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Receive the Holy Spirit, and in doing so, be ready to respond to and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I believe that inspired speech, whether speaking in tongues or prophecy, is a sign of receiving the Holy Spirit. So whatever he puts into your mind, and you may not be feeling much particularly at the moment in time, but something begins to form in your mind. You need to begin to speak those words out. If it's an unknown language, unlearned, you don't know the language, doesn't matter. What I will not do, and what I don't often stand on authority, what I forbid, is anyone tutoring someone else to speak in tongues. Say this after me. Don't do it. Right? Every, every answer of authority that I have as a pastor, I say to you, don't do it. Let the Holy Spirit form something in them that comes out of their heart and let them take a risk on saying it. Because again and again, I have found that when people begin to do that, suddenly, wow. <laughs> it, it's like the door opens, the gate opens. They begin to experience the presence of God. They begin to speak with inspiration beyond just those first few words. But the first few needs need to be inspired in their hearts by the Holy Spirit, not by me giving them to you. All right? I'm standing on that one. I can tell you that beyond that step, simple obedience, childlike faith, you will experience God, the Holy Spirit. You will know He's coming to fill you. You will sense His power, His authority. And you can go from that time again and again, knowing moment after moment, day after day, His presence, His help, His equipping, His power. Why? Because this is the life that Jesus promises to us. It's not earned. It's a gift. Receive the truth. Make a request. Be ready to respond and receive. And what the Holy Spirit begins to do in you, you just cooperate with Him. There will be a moment of change, of breakthrough when you will know you have received the Holy Spirit. And the devil on his worst day won't shake that conviction. It's like a boundary stone. Like baptism. Let's pray together. Lord, there are a whole mix of people here today. Some of us know this experience of receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Others don't. Some of us only have spoken in tongues and speak in tongues regularly. Others perhaps did on one occasion but then forgot about doing it. So, Lord, we, we say to you, we are all here today, Lord, wanting to come with childlike faith and say, we need 
the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn again to live as we once did, some of us. To recover something that's been lost as that edge of risk, adventure, of trusting the Holy Spirit in daily life. So we're coming to you. You are the giver of the Spirit, Lord Jesus. He stood up on the great day of the feast and said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit. You're the giver of living water, Lord Jesus. The giver of the Holy Spirit. My brothers and sisters, why don't you make a request of him now? Lord Jesus, giver of the Holy Spirit, please give me the Holy Spirit. Let me know his filling, equipping, empowering presence. for one or two people today you do need to go away and think about it. Am I, I'm not yet convinced I'm, not, I'm still not sure ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into this truth till you see it and as uncomfortable as it may be to chuck off you know background, tradition, teaching of past years and all that you, you ask for grace to be able to do that Say, Lord, I, I believe, please, I need to change my mind concerning you. You need to receive the truth. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He'll walk, he'll always work according to the words that he's already spoken, the words of Scripture. He'll make the Scriptures true and real to you. If that means there has to be a thorough change of mind on your part, he will help you to do that. He'll help you to do that. I could tell you the things I've had to change my mind about since being a Christian in the past decades. <laughs> it's a long list. But if there's light in the scripture, I need to open my eyes to the light and learn it again. And see it again with fresh eyes. Can we stand together for a moment or two? I don't think we will have time to break bread. It's my fault. Can we stand together again? It may be a moment now for some of us. You're sure about these things? You got it? Yep. You've even taken a moment to ask just now, to make your request. Three hours, remember? Receive the truth, request, make your request. Why don't you, childlike faith, promise, gift, coming from the Father or from the Son to you, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He comes to you as a gift from heaven. To be with you, to be in you, to fill you, to equip you. Why don't you right now take a moment, a childlike faith, and say, yes, please, Lord, now. Your word to me, Lord Jesus is received the Holy Spirit. I open, best I know, I open my hands, my heart, my 
being to you now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Any form, words form in your mind? In a language you don't know? Or in a language you do know? Start to speak them out. Trust the Holy Spirit to give you more. And then what you find not right, that as you begin to do that, as you begin to exercise that little bit of childlike faith, you don't begin to sense the presence of God coming into you like, like that wind. Your heart begins to be filled with things that you didn't know it could contain so much. Love, joy, peace. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, now I pray. For some people here this morning, let your Holy Spirit fill them. Fill them. Cause them to receive the gift of God through Jesus. Thank you, sir. Worship team, if you could come and sing for us again. I just want to share with you, um, God's just shown me a picture of a mountain with water streaming down into the river at the bottom never-ending, always overflowing, always. And that is the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just feel a little bit and go away. He's filling all the time. If you are willing to accept it and receive it, he just overfills all the time, never stops. Thank you. Holy Spirit, yeah. rest.